This is The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. David is the Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande in Casa Grande, Arizona. That means the things that, man, I was at the Bible study the other day, and that pastor, that teacher, man, he stepped all over my toes. I'm not going there anymore. It breaks my heart to look and see the multitudes of hundreds of thousands who say they are believers. All they want to do is to find a ministry that's going to tickle their ears, to make them feel good about themselves and, and, and everything else. And they go out from there and they've eaten just a ton of cotton candy. In the race of life, what are you running towards? Are you stopping along the way to enjoy financial success or to pursue a worldly goal? If you've committed your life to Jesus, then your goal should be obedience. If you're in obedience, you won't veer off track. For some, a minor diversion can lead to abandonment of the goal altogether. Enduring in this world while living a righteous life can be exhausting. But in the end, nothing will matter but what you've achieved for Him. Let's join Pastor David in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, as he introduces this study. You need to understand that within the context of the New Testament, there was actually the the office of apostle, but there was also a a separate and a distinct calling of apostle beyond these 12 men. There was this calling, a, a gifting, a position of apostle separate from the authority of the office of apostle. We read that the Greek word apostolos is one who is sent off on a commission, or to do something as one's representative. And the word was used in an official capacity to refer to an ambassador or an envoy. Paul considered himself an official envoy or ambassador of Christ Jesus. We so often speak of the twelve that are called by Christ to that office of apostle, but yet those others are still there. The ones who had the office of Apostle had the authority of what we call apostolic authority to the churches. But there were others also that were sent out, and we read throughout our word. In, in Acts 14.4, we read that Barnabas was an apostle. Silas and Timothy are spoken of as apostles in, in 1 Thessalonians 1.1 and in 2.6. The fellow Apollos that we read so much about in 1 Corinthians Several instances within 1 Corinthians, he is connected with or drawn together as one of the apostles. There's another couple, and again, possibly could be, and it could go either way. Again, it's not a a hill to die on, but a couple that's called Andronicus and Junia, a husband and wife. And Paul writes in Romans 16, 7, he says, Greet Andronicus and Junia, my countrymen and my fellow prisoners, who are of note among the apostles who also were in Christ before me. Now the question is, is are they of note because they are also serving in the ministry of apostles, not the office, but in the ministry, or do the apostles know who Andronicus and Junia are, and they are of note among the apostles? It can go either way. 
I believe that there was probably many more than that that had that gifting. Paul even speaks to us in Corinthians about this, and we'll get into that in a moment, that there are others that also have that gifting of apostles, ones that are sent out. I believe really and truly today we look at those that we send out as missionaries, and they're doing that very thing. They're sent out as ambassadors. They're sent out as envoys, both from the local church, but more than that, for the gospel's sake, for the kingdom of God, sent out to do the work of God. As an apostle, Paul didn't come as an ambassador of the church. He declared that he was an apostle, he was an ambassador of Jesus Christ. He wasn't on any kind of a mission to gain members. He wasn't trying to build up an organization. He was called by the King of Kings to lead people out of the kingdom of darkness into that glorious kingdom of light, and then to set up the church in order to be equipping sinners for those that would come to faith in Christ. That was Paul's calling and his place and his ministry as well as his office. And Paul went by the will of God. Paul's calling in life was to be an apostle. Not because he wanted it, not because some overzealous parent says, hey, I think you ought to become an apostle. Uh, no, it was nothing like that. It was by the will and it was by the call of God. As a matter of fact, if you know the story of Paul, Paul had completely other ideas and thoughts in his mind when God called him. He was the persecutor of the church, moving away actually from the will of God when God called him said, hey, I have a particular work and ministry for you. It was a calling by the will of God. It, it wasn't even the plan of the church. It wasn't the church that got together and says, hey, we need to send out some apostles. Let's take a little vote. Who do you think we ought to do? No, the church, during a time of prayer and fasting, the word says that the Holy Spirit spoke to the men and said, set these apart for the work and for the ministry that I have for him. It was the Holy Spirit of God that set him apart. It's Paul who helps us to understand, again, that this setting, this calling, all of these gifts, the gifts and the callings of God are various, and the variety is absolutely necessary for the benefit, for the well-being of the church at large. You're familiar with much of what's probably said in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, but let me remind you, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7 and 11, Paul writes these things, The manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. Not as the individual wills, but as the Spirit of God wills. God gifts and calls individuals for the work of various and assorted ministries within the church. Paul goes on to say down at the end of chapter 12, he says, Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles? And on and on he goes with the understanding that, no, there's a variety the need for that variety. Your gifting is not my gifting. My gifting does not necessarily make me anything more special than any other area. It's just the calling and the gifting of God. It's the purpose and the plan of God. It's God that calls and God that directs. And we need to be surrendered to that will in our lives, whatever that is. And the faithfulness of a, 
stay-at-home mom, uh, the faithfulness of, a, of an office worker to, to do all that God has called for them to do, the faithfulness of a construction worker or a truck driver or whatever it might be. So again, this is where God has called me to be a witness and a testimony of him to the people that he's brought me to, the gifts and the calling and the direction of God. Are we surrendered to that? Are we submitted to him regardless of our situation in order that we might be used by him? God had this purpose. He had a plan for Paul, just as he does for every believer. Paul called by the will of God to minister to and to write to these churches even. And he writes to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. The very city of Ephesus. Some say that Ephesus was the, the Asian version of Corinth. Uh, Corinth, we, we read a lot about, we speak a lot about, about the, just the wickedness and the vileness of Corinth. And yet, Ephesus had the same kind of, again, uh, sinful attitude, worldly attitude, filled with pagan worship. As a matter of fact, Ephesus was known for the temple of Diana, the goddess of fertility. As a matter of fact, her temple that they built there was one of the ancient seven wonders of the world. It was so impactful for that city. And Paul is called to write to those who love the Lord Jesus and are trying to follow him there in that city with those kinds of surroundings. Paul first encountered the church of Ephesus during the second missionary journey. This was several years before the writing of this letter, around 48 to 52 A.D., after leaving Corinth, he had sailed with his companions across the Aegean Sea and landed there in Ephesus on his way back to Jerusalem. And he began teaching at a local synagogue while he was there, reasoning with the Jews. And Acts chapter 18 tells us that they asked him to stay for a longer time with them, but he did not consent but took leave of them, saying, I must by all means keep this coming feast in Jerusalem, but I will return again to you, God willing. And he sailed from Ephesus. Not a very long stay. But the next time we see Paul in reference to Ephesus is actually during his third missionary journey, and this time he spends the greatest portion of that journey, of that third missionary journey, there in the city of Ephesus. The account of this time we can look at, or you can look at later, it's found in, in Acts chapter 19. As he was there, there were so many that were moved by the Spirit of God to receive Christ and to change from idol worship to the worship of the one true God, that it began to impact that city in a commercial way. Financially, it began to hurt those who were selling these little idols to Diana. And we can read about that story again there in Acts 19, that a riot took place, and they began to, again, uh, uh, come against not only Paul, but all the Christians, because, again, they were, they were destroying the worship of Diana. It had an impact on commercial sales. It's interesting. I wonder, wonder when the last time the move of the Spirit of God within a church or within a community impacted a city commercially. I don't remember any in recent history. 
We can read of some of the great revivals of years ago that suddenly bars were closing and houses of prostitution were shutting up because, again, the customer base just was not there. That's been a long, long time since anything like that's happened. And how we need a fresh revival, how we need the Spirit of God to impact the city. We look at our little city of Casa Grande, you know, uh, 20 years ago. Uh, well, some of you that have been here longer than that, you think, hey, here's this nice, sleepy little town away from the, all the problems of the big metropolis areas of Tucson and, and Phoenix. And yet, Casa Grande has all of the same problems now, if not more. Oh, how the church needs to impact our community. Well, following the riot, Paul leaves Ephesus. He travels on north to Troas, then over to Philippi. Comes on down to Corinth, spends some time there. After that, then he retraces his step back around by land. But he does not want to stop at Ephesus because, again, of the freshness of all the riots and everything that's going on there. So he stops at Miletus, just south of Ephesus. And while he's there, he calls the elders from the church of Ephesus to come down and meet him there at Miletus. And again, in Acts chapter 20, we see the story. And I want you to, again, if you would, let's go to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, beginning in verse 17. You see the account of Paul with the Ephesian elders. Acts 20, verse 17, we read from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You know from the first day that I came to Asia in what manner... I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews. How I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you, taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said, look at my the testimony of my life before you. The time that I spent before you, look at that and understand the reality and the truth of the hope of the gospel that's not only in me, but the message of the gospel that I continued to lay out to the Jews, to the Greeks, to everyone that he could. He says his message remained the same. Repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says, I did it through a lot of tears, through a lot of trials. And yet he was consistent. Why? Because he was submitted to the will of God in his life. And because he was submitted to the will of God in his life, God was able to use him in this way. Verse 22, he tells the elders, he says, And see, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. Paul, if you go to Jerusalem, you're going to be arrested. You're going to be in chains. There's going to be a lot of tribulation. That's fine. I think I'll go back to Philippi. Now, that wasn't Paul's heart. Paul knew and understood. No. Even with all that's going to take place, even, even, even with the trials and the tribulations that are going to be before me, this is God's will in my life, and I want to continue the direction of obeying His will. I'm submitted to His will in my life, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the consequences. I want to be found in obedience to Him. 
Verse 24, Paul tells them that none of these things move me. Nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy. The only way that he was going to have joy at the end of the race, because he was willing to be obedient in the midst of the race. Personal race for him as a believer, as well as the, the race of his calling of God as an apostle. He goes on there in verse 24. He says, and, and speaking again, this idea of finishing, that he may finish the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And indeed, now I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. That means, yes, even the hard things. That means the things that, man, I was at that Bible study the other day, and that pastor, that teacher, man, he stepped all over my toes. I'm not going there anymore. It breaks my heart to look and see the multitudes of hundreds of thousands who say they are believers. All they want to do is to find a ministry that's going to tickle their ears, to make them feel good about themselves and, and, and everything else. And they go out from there, and they've eaten just a ton of cotton candy. Nothing nourishing. Nothing that's going to last. Oh, it tasted good while I was there. Well, what kind of benefit is it truly to them in the long run? Paul says, I have not pulled back from giving you the whole gospel truth. He leaves them with this warning and this encouragement. Verse 28. Therefore take heed of yourselves and to all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves men will rise up, speaking perverse things, to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. You've got to understand this scene here. Paul on his way to Jerusalem, knowing he's going to be arrested, knowing all that's there. He calls the elders from this church of Ephesus, where he has spent three years proclaiming the gospel, ministering to the people, house to house, and all together in so many different ways, through much tribulation, many trials. Now he's got all these elders here, these leaders of the church. He says, listen, I want to tell you that as soon as I'm gone, you need to understand Savage wolves are going to come in and they're going to start eating up the sheep. You need to be careful. You need to watch out. You need to guard those who are coming in and that are leading the sheep astray, that are leading the sheep into ways and areas that are going to destroy their faith, destroy their hope, pull them away from, from the reality of the truth. And oh, by the way, guys, I also know that some of those are actually going to come from among you. I believe that Paul, as he was speaking to these elders, I believe that probably the Holy Spirit quickened his heart even as he was giving this message of savage wolves that, you know what, even some of these guys 
They're going to become some of those savage wolves. I'm brought back to the upper room with Jesus and the disciples, where Jesus is telling the disciples, he says, one of you is going to betray me. And all the time, Judas is sitting right there, and everybody's going, who, me? Who, me? I wonder what's going on in the heart of some of these elders there from Ephesus. They're, they're, they're leaders of the church then, or churches there in Ephesus. They're leaders. And now Paul says, and some of you are going to be those savage wolves. It's going to rise up from right among you. There are some of those who, he caught my game. He, he, he understands where I'm going. I wonder if some kind of conviction went on some that really they... They would have fallen to their face and repented at that point in time. We don't know. They never did see him again. It says in verse 36, let's skip down to there. When he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. Then they all wept freely and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spoke that they would see his face no more, and they accompanied him to the ship. They never did see him again, at least not in Ephesus. The only way they would have been able to see him is, again, in prison, probably in Rome. Upon his return to Jerusalem, not only was he arrested, but through a long series of events, he was finally transferred to Rome. And you can read all about that. That's Acts 21 through 28. And yet in the process, this is the thing I want you to grasp, out of, out of, in, in the process of his submission to God, knowing all that was going to happen, in the process of his arrest, in the process of all the trials that Paul was going to go through, he had now the ability to be able to witness the gospel of Christ to guards and to kings. Because of his willingness to submit to the leading of God. He now is able to share the hope of Christ to rulers and even to common men. He was able to share with sailors and fellow prisoners all the way up to Caesar's household. Why? Because he was willing to submit to the will of God even though it got him out of the comfort zone. Because of his willingness to be submitted his willingness to be obedient, even when passing through the uncomfortable zone, God was able to use him to the absolute most. So here's the catch. Because he was faithful in the hard things, God used him in a multitude of great If you will remain faithful in the hard things, I believe that you'll be amazed at how God will use you in a multitude of great things. You may not see the results of that, this side of glory, but I guarantee you our faithfulness does not come without fruitfulness. God will take the faithfulness of his servants and he will produce fruit from that faithfulness. That's going to last for eternity. Our submission, our faithfulness to God may never be measured by the way we measure things here. 
number of churches or Bible studies we start, or even the number of people that we witness to or win to the Lord, we, we may never be measured that way. Our obedience may never be measured according to the amount of physical suffering that we endure for the gospel's sake. But there's really and truly only one who is keeping the score. Our submission and our faithfulness is measured by his standard and by his standard alone. The question is, is will you be found faithful? Will you be found submitted to the Lord even through the hard things? Will you hear those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant? You are faithful over a few things, I'll make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. It's our faithfulness, not our position, that will enable us to hear those kinds of words. Submission and faithfulness to His call in our lives, where we're at right now, whatever that call might be. Are you submitted to His will in order that He might be able to use you for His will? It seems that more and more people are getting caught up in a works-based expression of their faith. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. This is the book Pastor David is currently teaching through, Ephesians. You can get a free copy of today's teaching at our website. Simply log on to www.theopenword.com. That's theopenword.com. Although the open word is a huge blessing, we pray that it's not your only source for the teaching of the word of God. It's our hope that you're attending a church that teaches God's word from beginning to end. If not, we'd like to invite you to join us at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande for worship on Saturday evenings, Sunday mornings, or Wednesday evenings. For service times, driving directions, and more information, log on to theopenword.com. And follow the link to the church website. Finally, we want to encourage you to follow us on Twitter, The Open Word Radio, or log on to TheOpenWord.com and follow the link right there on the homepage. Well, that's all the time we have for today. You've been listening to The Open Word with David Landry. Please join us next time as Pastor David continues teaching verse by verse through the book of Ephesians. That's next time on The Open Word.